Welcome to the Embracing the Water podcast. This morning I felt the energy just to share and I was remembering a quote from Jedu Krishnamurti and I used to read him avidly many years ago, maybe 20 years ago or so. And I learned so much from him. He honed my mind in a certain direction. And But the quote I, that was coming to me was, I'll give you the exact quotation actually, I looked it up. The day you teach the child the name of a bird, that child will never see that bird again. And it's quite a well-known quote. And there's so much to it, I suppose. And it's very pertinent to what's happening in the world now. So if we unpack it a small bit, that when we teach the child the name of the bird, is that we're giving the child the ability to understand something, label it conceptually, how to define it, and maybe how to communicate. And what his quote also suggests is that what can happen is that when we learn to define something, to label it, we can categorize it and we think we know it. And in a way we've limited something that's, you could say, wondrous, an expression of the divine, the one, the one manifesting as, as a bird. And that we, you know, we can categorize it as, say, a wood pigeon. I was looking at a wood, wood pigeon the other day and they're, they're so glorious. But if we just say it's a wood pigeon and we give it a Latin name and it has certain colors and certain characteristics and it can never really capture the experience of witnessing a wood pigeon without labeling. Now, in saying that, I'm using the ter term wood pigeon as a kind of a signifier, as a way to communicate something, but it's not, it's not the real thing. So the quote is, the day you teach the child the name of a bird, the child will never see that bird again. And that doesn't have to be the case. It's only the case when we get, we think the definition, the, def, the definition or label of something is the thing. Another teacher that I like is Ajishanti. He said, if we start to believe that these names and all of these concepts we form around them are real, then we've begun the journey of becoming entranced by the world of ideas. And that's exactly it. We can get entranced in the world of ideas, in categorization, in labeling, in boxing, in really dividing the world up. You know, can the bird be any different than the air that supports it or the tree that supports it or the insects that it feeds on? 
or even from the person who's watching. It depends what your center of identification is at any moment. What position of consciousness are you looking from? Is it just from mind? Is it maybe from an open heart that's enjoying it or a sensational aspect? A more bodily interaction? So how does this relate to what's happening in the world now? It's always pertinent in a way. It's, it's kind of, the quote is a reminder not to be limited by a definition. In a way, you imprison the bird or your, your experience of the bird is limited by your definition if you only defined it in terms of concepts and mentally. So then is really, is there the possibility to enjoy the mystery of that bird, the expression that it is, and the concept of it at once? They're not mutually exclusive, so to speak. You can recognize the divine as the bird and also the bird as an individual expression of this one. We call this the one and the multiplicity and they're not as separate as we think. Of course, this has huge ramifications in our own life. How do we label things? And do we experience things truly and openly? Or are we blinded by our own labeling? And this is not to say we shouldn't teach the child how to label. It's part of our development as human beings to develop our conceptual ability and our ability to communicate and verbalize and share ideas. It's wonderful. But not to really lose the magic, the ability to see something in the present moment when it's alive not to shut down to it too quick by saying, I understand it, I know, I know what it is. For me, I've become much more comfortable the more I realize I don't know. So what really sparked this contemplation was seeing some of the the division around the movement of COVID at the moment that there seems to be sides and sides are labeling each other and so many so many names and what does that do when we label someone else or a group? Do we shut down to them, to all that they are? Um, do we limit our own experience or an openness? 
So, you know, and this can be true, like we can label a bird a bird and, you know, give it a name and its taxonomy and so forth. But we can also try label things in a derogatory fashion to put it down, to limit it, to make it other. Sometimes to demonize, sometimes to push it away out of fear or anger. And we create further separation ourselves from, from the one. So, you know, terms like COVIDiot and sheeples and COVID deniers and anti-vaxxers and natural immunity deniers, conspiracy theorists. We're very quick to label and push away, you know. If someone has some questions around vaccines, doesn't make them anti-vaccine. It makes them that they're curious or they might have some hesitation because of timing or safety or efficacy or that they understand their own immune system better than other people. So it's very useful The label but it can also hinder us if we don't also stay open to a person or group or movement and to have respect like when we use a derogatory term to try encapsulate or push away another group we're not open to experiencing them and whichever side I don't even like using the word sides it's so it's partisan there's just people with different levels of intelligence, different soul qualities coming to the fore, different fears, different traumas, different conditionings. But if we have that ability to really, what I would say is to, that harmonious ability to see the mystery and the bird at once, to know the oneness and the multiplicity, then we're in a much better position to help to find a solution and a kind of a cooperative movement and an understanding of other. So then, you know, sometimes the word sheeples is used that anyone following the mainstream narrative is a sheep or that they're idiots or they don't understand or they have a lack of intelligence and I wouldn't see it like that so much I don't I don't think that's useful I know there can be frustration for people when they're trying to get their points across but some people are very trusting doesn't mean they're lacking in intelligence that they're trusting and they want to do the right thing and they, they can't fathom that they might be being misled or lied to or that there's a misunderstanding or that there's an agenda. And I don't see that, you know, a willingness to be good or to be trusting is, should be denigrated. We all have different abilities and qualities. 
But I think if we can communicate without anger, hatred, name-calling, without labelling in an attempt to push away or exclude, then we'd be in a much better position. So in a way, we're continuing that process that happened in childhood where we learn to conceptualize, to name things, and we can become very rigid with it. A rigidity sets in, and we can actually use it to deny another group or person. And that can leave us quite isolated. What would happen if we, you know, we could stay in contact in any communication to recognize, ah, here's another soul, another being, with an instrumental nature, with a mind vital and physical, that has specific and individual patterns of conditioning and trauma and beauty, and that they're working out their evolution, and so am I, and how best can we help each other? Well, one is to always keep that in view. You know, what we call a COVID denier or a sheeple is a soul with an instrumental nature, a humanness, and that each one of us are evolving. And just because someone might have a a trusting nature to go along with a kind of group think doesn't mean they haven't got a developed soul, but their instrumental nature might be just conditioned to move in a certain way. Or again, just because someone doesn't have a great understanding of natural immunity or, you know, biological functionings doesn't mean they're not a worthy soul. And just because someone doesn't want a vaccine doesn't make them uncaring or cruel or selfish or deadly. We have to be so careful not to dehumanize, to desoul through our labeling. And this is our own responsibility. And it's very easy to fall into, especially when, if you're targeted or being name-called, or if you feel like you're vulnerable. One tends to kind of, or if you've been attacked, you want to attack back or defend. And we can go into this ping-pong tennis of names and misunderstanding, and we fail to see the majesty and mystery of the bird of the wonder of life and of each other. We fall into patterns of fear and exclusion. What is truly contagious about COVID is fear, the fear surrounding it, the falsehood surrounding it. 
in the sphere is actually affecting what is called both sides because you know people that might be vaccine hesitant are fearful that their bodily integrity is going to be violated and that their own intelligence is going to be railroaded over and then there's people who are you know for and say oh well you're a danger to me if you don't i i'm fearful of you and you have to do what i say or what we want so there's fear on many different levels and many on, on both sides there's not even both sides they're just it's it's all limiting to say both sides but this is the language and i don't mean to make partition line for me I'm for I'm for God I'm for God in me for God in you for God in the bird for God in life It's funny, if we see the birds in nature, they're not so concerned about death. They're too busy living, moment to moment. Now, of course, you could say a bird doesn't have the same conceptual mind as we do. So, but that's our challenge as humans and a part of our evolution that we have, and we actually have to bring a higher reason to it and then an actual a spiritual understanding and a soulful harmonization to it because so much of our vital energy and fears can override our rational understanding because i see that in in a lot of the debate people can't understand why aren't people being reasonable and because the reason is often hijacked by fear I've seen very intelligent people act blindly because of fear. They become blinkered. This is no slight on them. It's just to recognize the mechanism of fear and how limiting and contracting it is. And I know for myself, so many years I spent afraid. And even now, for people, when they want to speak up, they're censored, they're ridiculed, they're put down. They're not even, you know, it's a, there's even a fear to speak up, to communicate. There's a fear to explore what the other side, I know there is the other side, is saying. To really to have open, honest debate. Or communication, even a better word, communication, not debate. And if you look at some of the, the reasonings for fear, like one of the biggest reasons for fear is an excessive concern about one's security to continually be, well, am I safe? Am I safe? And people have been bombarded with a sense of 
insecurity, a fear about one's safety, about one's mortality. And you know, the, the more I see people in fear or feel people in fear, I know that they're not in connection with their own soul. They're somehow caught under their surface or their personality in some, in some pattern. And then another big reason for fear is we fear that which we do not know. It creates an unease in us, and that unease is really translated into fear because we do not know. And of course, this is one of the huge obstacles in spiritual practice because often we have to move into the unknown to step out of what we think we know, the conceptual framework into the unknown. But it can create a sense of unease. I remember one of the first big awakenings I had that coming to the not knowing the fear that was generated was nearly all consuming. It felt like annihilation. Yet the moment that threshold of fear was overcome, there was utter freedom. Sometimes the unknown is a great opportunity, but we can feel so uneasy about it. And if anyone's interested, Dr. Zach Bush has some wonderful talks on the virome and how viruses are a means for us to really upgrade. It's a different view, a different way of understanding viruses. And then another reason, and probably the most pertinent reason for fearing is one doesn't have a, a spontaneous or deep or total trust in the divine or no connection to the divine. And this is a huge one. Because when we don't have that deep connection to the divine, we've very much a sense of isolation and a sense of our frailty as a, a mortal being. Because when we're in connection or have a deep trust or faith in the divine, our own inner mortality is a strength or a guide as we move through this one life with our humanness. We have this humanness for this life and as a soul we come in to learn, to evolve. And this life affords us this opportunity. But if we're only focused on our humanness, we're not really in harmony with that soul impulse, impulse to evolve. Like what is good, true and beautiful for us not, is not what is always what's safe for us. This kind of perverse fascination with safety at all costs 
is really so limiting. This doesn't mean we throw all safety out the window. I still put on my seat belt and, you know, they're practical things, but to be consumed with safety at all costs, even to, that we don't consider our own evolution or that consumed with our own safety, we will coerce or force others into compliance to our ideas of what's needed or safe. So that's really one of the biggest things. How do, how much faith or trust do we have in the divine? And you know, from listening to my previous podcast, you, you know, you, you probably have a good understanding of what I mean by the divine. Not that it can be defined, but just a general inclination. It's not a religious term. And you can substitute it for what's meaningful for you. The one or the mystery or the infinite potential. There's, there's different ways of approaching this. So this excessive indulgence in fear or a bombardment of fear creates very unfavorable conditions to free expression and soul values. But yet in saying that I can also say, well, in a way this very challenge of this bombardment of fear could be the opportunity the soul needs to shine forth. If we take, if we have that trust and faith in the divine, we can say even this too will be used to evolve. And then we're in a much better position. And probably what's struck me most over the last year, year and a half is this fear of being ostracized. And I might, if I get time, just do a podcast solely on that because it's, it's a huge topic. The fear of being ostracized, to being put out of a group or circle or community, to be labeled, to be outcast, to be demonized, to be vilified to be pointed at, to stand out. It's like terrifying to so many people. And there are so many people who are afraid to speak up for their own truth because they don't want to be labeled because, you know, it'd look bad to my family or my cousins or at my job that they can even blind themselves to recognize their own inner truth, they'll deny themselves or they will self-censor, censor themselves. And, you know, in saying all these things, 
all these things I've done in my own life. It's not that I've lived, you know, a perfect life. Fear has limited me so many times, self-censor, limiting myself and others. I'm not putting myself as a paragon, a kind of an emblem of virtue. But I'm offering an understanding, a possibility, a realization of really the harmony of this mystery. Maybe we could say that love is to see the mystery and the bird at once. Maybe awakening is to see the one and the many simultaneously. So then maybe we can see each other as we are, as these individual expressions that are evolving and have their, their patterns. And also the godliness or divine or spirit shining through as well. We all have different instrumental natures, different bodies and minds and emotions. And our soul is always trying to whisper through the clamor. It's trying to make itself known. And for this, we need to deeply listen, to acknowledge that still voice, that small voice that tells you if something is right for you. Some people call it an inner conscience, but for me, it's a, a soul quality, soul quality of truth. that's trying to manifest individually through each person, through each instrumental nature, a flowering of consciousness of what is true. And it's our responsibility to, to listen. And it's not always what is safe or mainstream or scientific. Because even in scientific circles, there's no real consensus. People say, follow the science. But scientists on each side are saying different things. And I would be very careful of making science the new religion. I think it's time we move past religions to find our own inner and collective truth, our divine truth. This is no easy task, but as souls that is what we came here to do and life after life we take a step closer and a step closer.
So our ability to label this conceptual utility, it is up to us how we use it. We can use it to separate, to denigrate, to control, to dominate, or as a means to communicate and to understand it is limited in itself. And maybe the solution is not to be found in the mind alone. So thank you for spending this time with me. And again, these are words I offer and if you can tune into the energy behind them as well. Much love.